Hope you all are doing well. If you have a Bible, please turn to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, starting a new series that we're going to talk just a little bit about, um, but looking at Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians, to both the Jews and the Gentiles at that time in Ephesus. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that together. If you do not have a Bible with you, we do have Bibles at the Connection Center that we'd love to give to you. That would be our gift to you today. And so as I was preparing for this, looking like, okay, this is Paul, this is a letter, and as you read it, you see that it, it is a letter. He repeats himself numerous times, and it, it's kind of like a letter. Like, do, do you remember I said this and this? And and I was just trying to think, when's the last time that I received a letter that was not like a bill or something like that? Like, when, when did I receive a letter? And so I received texts and messages, and that's cool, but like a letter. And I remember the last time it was, well, maybe not the last time, but one of the times that I remember the most is camp. When you're at camp, do you guys remember? No? That you had to like write back to your parents. Did you guys ever do that? You had to write your parents, your whole cabin get together and write. And maybe uh, you've been involved in camp ministry. You're involved in camp ministry right now. Uh, some just got back from camp six. We're going to be praying for camp eight next week. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> okay, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry about that. Um, so here's what happens at camp. You send someone off, and they have lots of expectations, probably because you've given them those expectations. When you get to camp, you're going to make friends. Food's going to be great. You're going to have lots of activities, lots of fun. And so I wanted to show you a few camp letters that came back from campers to their parents. And so their parents are probably expecting, like, hey, I know you're going to have a good time. But here's the letters, the responses that they got. Here's the first one. I got your letter, and I want to say I miss you. I want to go home. I am, I, I am sleeping better, but the athletic field is hot. The creek is dirty. The pool is crowded. I no longer have that certain bounce in my step. This is from a nine-year-old. Plus, my, cab, my cabin mate says, Mississippi is a country and USA is a state. Please pick me up, okay? <laughs> Next one. I love this one. Dear mom and dad, I love everything about this camp except the campers. That's incredible. Next one. Dear mom and dad, thank you for the care package, but you know I don't like, um, you know, the, uh, Fig Newtons and that kind of thing. I asked for candy. Send me this list. So I thought that was pretty funny. Next one. P.S. I'm only smiling in the picture, so you think I'm having tons of fun, but I'm not. <coughs> and this is the last one. It basically says, you know, I want to come home right now, and, you know, I'm not having fun. Take me home now. But I love that right there. It says, these wet spots on the paper, those are my tears. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, man. Now, whether it was a camp or maybe something else, have we written letters like that from our experiences? So maybe we were told at camp, oh, you're going to have a good time, you're going to make lots of friends, but it wasn't turning out the way that you thought it was. And so here's your response. What about further education? Your parents or your teacher said, oh, man, you're going to love this. You're going to get smarter. You're going to have this. And you're like, no. Like, the tests are terrible. The people are terrible. The food is terrible. I have to pay for rent. I have to do all this stuff. And so you write this letter. Then what about in 
you know, the workspace. Like, oh man, people said once I got a job, everything would be complete. But no, like people cheat me. People say things behind my back. It's harder. I actually have to lift things and do things. Where's mom? Like, these are, this is crazy. And then relationships. Oh, this would be easy. I'm like, no. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Except mine. It's great. Um, <laughs> phew. But when you turn to Ephesians, you have Paul writing this letter. Oh, excuse me. But what about us? What about the Christian faith? What about the, I mean, think about the person who introduced you to Jesus. Maybe that was a pastor, your parent, a friend. And they said, here's what life is going to be like with Jesus. And then maybe after a month or maybe after a few years, it's like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so you write a letter like this. This is hard stuff. I have to depend on him for everything. I have to trust in this, and it's hard to trust. Some of my friends, they, they don't listen to me anymore because I say I follow Jesus and, and these things and these things. And so we have our own letter, but as uh, Paul Morgan, not the Apostle Paul, but as Paul Morgan introduced us to the book of Ephesians last week, we see that Paul is writing his story, basically, because his story is God's story. He's writing to a people that say, you know, we want to write our own narrative. We want to be the best. We want to be this in the world. And Paul's saying there's actually a narrative that you're already a part of. And you're either a part of it or you're running away from it. And so, and while Paul's writing this, he's on house arrest. His life uh, is in jeopardy. In five years, he's going to die. He, he doesn't know this yet, but like he can see the trajectory of things. But he is so joyous when he writes this letter. He is so full of joy. And he's been hurt. He's been persecuted. He's been cheated. He's in prison. And he's so joyful. And why? And so what I wanted to do is read about uh, this today from Ephesians chapter 2. So last week, Paul set us up perfectly with saying there is a better narrative. And it's God's narrative. And so uh, Paul is going. The Apostle Paul is going to show us today what that better narrative is based on. And we're going to be talking about being a family of grace. And so just as Paul did last week, this is so funny, Paul, Paul. But as Paul did last week, uh, I'm just going to read this letter, uh, Ephesians chapter two in its entirety. And if you are able, could you please stand with me, just out of respect for God's word, as we read today? I'll read quickly. Here we go. And it is on the screen if you'd like to follow. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead. Thank you, Paul. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us, with Christ, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming of ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised to those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise excuse me, of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were far away, you were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He, excuse me, he came and preached. He came and preached peace. I cannot see that. There we go. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, what we were talking about earlier. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Would you please teach us what it means? Jesus, would you take over at this time? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oh, thank you so much. (coughs) Didn't work. (coughs) Cool. All right, so here's the letter. Now, so like I said, maybe you haven't received a letter in a long time, but you've received a text. So I put it in emoji form, what we're going to be talking about today, okay? So we're going to be talking about death, we're going to be talking about grace, and then we're going to be talking about being a family of grace. And you might say, well, Matt, didn't we like, wasn't the word circumcision in there? Yeah, but I didn't want to look for an emoji or be creative with that. So we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, (laughs) so first, death, death. Paul starts off this letter, we were dead. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, in our sins and trespasses. Uh, We were dead, but God wants to make us alive. Now, saying dead here, it's not just a comment on activity, activity, but it's our status, our current status. It's not saying that you're the worst person on the planet, but it's saying that if you're dead, you need life. So Paul's just telling people, this is what you need. Now, it's good to notice the word that he used. Paul didn't say we were sick. Paul said we were dead. Because if we were sick, here's how it would go. In my wife's case, she'd go, oh, I think I'm feeling sick. So she goes to WebMD and looks up and goes, oh, my goodness, Matt, I think I'm dying. And I'm like, no, you're not dying. Go, go talk to Nate. He'll, he'll tell you some things. But then Nate says, oh, there's actually three other ways you could be dying. I'm like, okay, not helpful, Nate. Thank you. So then she goes and she, you know, uh, has an appointment with the doctor, gets the medicine, takes it, and, you know, uh, regiment in like three to seven days, then she's feeling better and go, okay, good. Now, here's the thing. If Paul was talking about sickness, yeah, there's diff- different levels of sickness. 
we wouldn't be as concerned. Well, I, I, I have a strong body. I can handle that. Or I'm pretty smart. I could do that. But no, he's talking about death. Paul's letter is not saying that we need Dr. God. He is saying that we need Savior God. We don't need improvement. We need life. And life comes from one person. And so Paul uses the word uh, negros, which means death. It's not figurative, but it's the reality that we live in. So what is taking this life? If we're dead, what's taking this life? Paul says sin. The trespasses of sin that you walked in. The word here is hamartia, which is an archer's term, and it just means to miss the mark. So there's a definition on the screen. Here's a definition that we use for sin here at this church. Sin is anything that separates right relationship with God. It breaks relationship because our sin is the failure to hit the target of life. And that is precisely why sin is so universal. We might not understand the word sin or use the word sin, but we all feel that separation. And we, I think as humans, we commonly have the wrong idea of sin. Uh, I mean, we would agree that, you know, being a thief or a murderer, abuser, a drunkard, someone who listens to country music, like those are all... <laughs> How did that get in there? Those are, those are all s sins and can be punished by death, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But let's just say since most of us, we're, we're pretty decent. We got it together. We try our best. I mean, come on, Matt, in our heart, um, you know, we, we try our best. And we think because of that, sin doesn't have very much to do with us. That's for the really bad people. But hamartia, this word, miss the mark, that brings us face to face to what sin really is. It's the failure to be um, what, what we could be. It's the failure to be what we could be. But Matt, I'm quite alive. Like, why is Paul saying that I'm dead? Because I'm pretty, pretty alive. So how do we experience death and life? A few ways. What does sin do? This thing that breaks relationship with God. Well, it kills innocence. It leaves a stain. It leaves a mark. When you've done something wrong to hurt someone, when you've broken a relationship, you feel that. You carry that, that guilt. What, what also does sin do? It kills ideals. What we thought our life should be, well, instead, now we get jealous when people have a better life than us. Um, we, we just get envious of the things that we don't have, and it kills our ideals. Also, sin, it kills the will. The desire to live. I mean, if I can't have that or have that, what's the point of all this? What's the point of life? And so what sin does, it kills our relationship with God, with one another, and the world. And you might be saying, but Matt, I thought you said Paul was like joyous when he was writing this. I thought you said he was happy. And here's why. The verse is on the screen. But because of his great love for us, God, but God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. But God, in his grace. So sin kills innocence. I have this on the slides as well. Sin kills innocence. But God, through Jesus, removes guilt and restores. Sin kills ideals. But God, through Jesus, reawakens the heart. The grace of Jesus Christ rekindles the desire for life. A repeated falling to sin kept extinguishing these ideas, but now we see how much our life is worth. We see the value of relationship. And then finally, sin kills the will. 
but God, through Jesus, recreates our will and desires. And this is what love always does. The effect of great love is always a cleansing of things. When a person really and truly falls in love, anyone here? Yes? Okay, good. No hands? Okay, good to know. (laughs) But when a person really truly falls in love, their love compels them to goodness, to do kind things, to do good things. They love the loved one so much that the love of their sin is broken. Something has taken the place of broken relationship, and God demonstrates his love through grace. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Okay, this isn't just sick and fixing the sickness. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that anyone could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul insists that this is by grace, and that we are saved and even have a relationship with Jesus because of this grace. We have not earned this salvation, nor could we have earned it. It is a costly gift that someone had to provide, and there's no way that we can pay it back. It is the gift the gift of God, and our part is simply to receive it. Do we have a problem receiving gifts? Maybe sometimes, but our job is to receive this gift. And Paul is telling his readers to trust that God did something that we could never do on our own. And Paul is saying this is true because of two things. God is perfect, so only perfection is good enough for him. He is holy. Man, by his very nature, cannot bring perfection to God. So if man is to get his way to God, to get his life to God, it must always be God who gives and man who takes. That's just how it is. And it's also true because God is love. Sin is therefore a crime, not against law, but against love. Now it is impossible to make payment for a broken, excuse me, it's possible to make payment for a broken law. We can fix things, um, you know, that we've done wrong, but it's impossible to make payment for a broken heart. We can't change a heart. We can't fix a heart. And sin is not so much breaking God's law as it breaks his heart. So Paul says twice that the work of Christ is by grace alone. Because relationship with Jesus is not about doing, but it's about what has been done through Jesus. And this is the gospel message. God didn't smite us for our sin. No, that's called revenge. Okay, if God was to say, oh, you did it, revenge. No, no, no. And God didn't just hold back. That's called mercy. If someone hits you and you don't do anything back, that's good. Please don't do anything back. But that's just called mercy. But what we're talking about is grace. We sinned against God, but he gave his life for us. And that's grace. That's something that you can never get on your own. So what is life costing you? What is life costing you? For those who are on Instagram, I, I try it. I'm not very good. Um, but it's kind of, I catch myself looking like, man, I wish I had that. Man, I could do that. Man, that picture looks great. Wow, why don't I look that good in filters? Like, it's, <laughs> it's really amazing. And I start seeing, instead of being happy for people, I'm like, why, why don't I have that? And you might say, well, I'm off social media, Matt, so you can't get me with that one. But, you know, before social media, we had the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses or with your neighbor. You know, their lawn looks great or their kids are doing this and that kind of thing. And we're always in our life 
life is going to cost us something. We're always going to compare to something. But if your Christian life is in constant concern about doing enough or being better than others through our achievements, then we will never understand grace. And you will never live out in grace joyfully and sadly never experience a grace that is specifically for you. So what does this mean for us? Um, I kind of see Paul right here, like as a friend, like how many like Netflix? Don't lie to me. Come on. You're like, good, good, good. So I, I kind of f- see Paul as like a friend telling you about a really good show on Netflix, saying like, you have to watch this. It will change your life. Yeah, but I'm kind of, it. no, no, no. You got to watch it. You know, get, get through the first three episodes. You got to understand the character stuff. But once you're there, oh, you will love this. And, and I kind of see Paul doing that, like, yeah, we got to get past the death. We got to do this. But we're talking about grace. You need this. And so why? Because we are all dead. We are all saved by grace. And we are one in Christ. This leads us to our last emoji. <laughs> so um, during the letter, Paul is talking to both Jew and Gentile for a reason. In Ephesians chapter 2, 15, verses on the screen, it says, he... Excuse me. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So what is Paul's joy trying to combat here? What is Paul's joy trying to take on here? In this letter, we see that there's, as we saw last week uh, through the sermon, there is tension between the Jew and Greek. Now, let let me tell you a little bit about the Jew and the Greek. So the Jew, as we saw in the verse, they are the circumcised. They physically are God's people. They have set themselves aside for God. God has set them aside. And not because they were great. No, it even says in Scripture, because little Israel, you were nothing. But God is going to make something through you. He's going to reach the world through you. And so here's the relationship that the Jew has to God. It's always been grace. It's always been grace. God chose them for, for a reason, but for, for nothing they did, and he chose them. But one problem the Jews had, maybe among many, but one problem the Jews had was they kept adding to that grace. They kept cheapening God's grace, their king's grace, their savior's grace. God, thank you for saving us, but ooh, look, shiny. That looks really cool over there. Or, God, we want a king like them. Or, God, we want this. And, God, we thought it would be good if we just added a little bit to this. You know, you weren't moving as quick as we would like. And so they added to this grace. And uh, so we treat sometimes, like the Jews, we treat Jesus as an option, an idea a spice at Christmas time, rather than understand that our life exists and are secure because of him. And if we're not following him, as Paul said last week, we're following something else. If we're not trusting his narrative, we're trusting another narrative, whether we're building it for ourselves or someone that's building it for us. But what Paul's saying is that narrative is operating out of death, and you'll continue to miss the target of what life is really about. But if we walk in grace, the pressure of finding freedom on our own is off of us. And we have a king who gives us all the security that we need. Now, the Gentiles, this is where we fit in because we're not Jews. Maybe some of us are, sorry. Uh, But with (laughs) 
but with uh, Gentiles. In this context, context, the Gentiles do not feel deserving of this grace. And why? Frankly, because of God's people. They were treated very badly by the Jews. Some commentaries that I was reading, it was crazy to be a Gentile, the things that people would say about them. Um, One horrific thing was just like, oh, yes, the Gentiles were created to just keep hell hot as fuel, you know. Um, And then another thing was, you know, if a that a Jew was not supposed to help a Gentile woman give birth because that would just mean you're bringing another Gentile into the world. And so for these Gentiles, they don't understand grace because what are we? We have no significance. We've been told by people that we can't get to that God. We can't get there. And so maybe religion or the idea of following Jesus has kind of made you feel that way. Uh, It's not for you. I'll never be, you know, on your level. I'll never catch up. You know, I I don't know all the songs, that kind of thing. Uh, You don't know where to jump in. Maybe it's too late. Or you know what? I've made it through life this far. Like, do I really need that grace? And, you know, I'll just never be enough. But Paul says that Jesus brings together Jew and Gentile, and from them both produces a new kind of person. It's not that Jesus makes all the Jews into Gentiles and all the Gentiles into Jews. It's not one master race. Jesus' grace produces a new kind of person. Although they still remain Gentile and Jew, they are a new person with a new identity and a new purpose for life in Christ. And so this is what it looks like to live under God's grace. It's not about being identified by your culture or the things around you, but it's about bringing the identity of Christ into your life, into your culture. Does that make sense? Uh, A few years ago, my friend had an awesome opportunity to pick up John Piper. John Piper from the airport. And him and I were so excited. Like, we were geeking out. Now I feel kind of foolish. Like, why are we fanboying over a 70-year-old pastor? This is kind of weird. I'm like, oh, man, ask him this. Ask him about sanctification. I want to hear it. You know, we were, like, so excited. And so he picked him up, and he's driving him around Vancouver, and he is so excited to show uh, John Piper where we live. And he's like, look at these mountains. I bet you don't have any mountains like that in uh, Minnesota, do you? And check out this. I bet you don't have it like this. And check out these lakes. And so he's like with them for three hours. And at the end of it, John Piper looks at him and goes, you're really glad to live here. And he goes, yeah, I am. Isn't it really cool, all the stuff we have? He goes, yes, our father's mountains and lakes and cities are beautiful. And I'm so glad you get to live closer than me. And so he texts me. I'm like, how was it? He goes, I just got pipered. Like, <laughs> like I was showing him all this stuff, and he reminded me, like, no, this is for everyone. This is, God is good. It's not that this is mine or I create it. No, I'm living in God's grace. And the unity we have in Christ produces, produces Christians whose Christianity transcends all their local and racial difference. It produces people who are friends with each other because they're friends with God. It produces people who are one because they meet in the presence of God to whom they all have access. But Matt, (laughs) um, can't we have acceptance in this kind of life without God? 
Because I have people who accept me. I have people who show grace to me. Can't we have it without God? Earlier this week, I was at a concert, and it was a great concert. And then at the end, uh, the singer of the band just said, you know, I look out over this crowd, and it's so beautiful to see different shades of skin, to see different ages, to see uh, different sexual identities. Like, this is how it should be, and this is beautiful. And everyone started cheering, and he's like, we don't need religion. We don't need these things. We just need this. And so I looked around, a bit conflicted, but I looked around like, wow, this is beautiful. But wait, no one's talking. Like, wait until people open up their mouths and say, actually, I think life should be lived out this way. No, actually, I, I think this. I was raised this way. Or no, actually, this is, this is better for the environment. Well, I don't care. It's delicious. I want this and all, all those things. It's like, wait until they, wait until they open their mouth, and we're going to have a bigger issue. So on the outside, yeah, it may look like we're getting along, but on the inside, it's a different narrative. Right. It's a different narrative. Um, so here, here, as I conclude, um, I desire, just like the guy was saying, I desire this type of unity, but the reality is we're all dead, and we can't control anything. Um, just like when we make plans, we make the best event ever. It's going to solve all the problems. It's great. It's for everyone, but it rains. You can't control the weather, so you can prepare for all the things, but you can't control it. And the fact is, without Christ, we are dead. And without Christ, we're just going to miss the mark on what life is about. But because of Christ, Paul says you are no longer among God's people just because they are tolerating you. But through Christ, anyone can be a full member of the family of God. It is through Jesus that we are at home with God. And through Jesus, there is a place for all people in the family of God. Now, people, they may put up their barriers. Churches may keep their doors and communion tables to themselves for their own members. But God never does. And it's sad that the church sometimes and his people are often more exclusive than God. Now... This doesn't mean that there are things that God does not identify with. We are talking about sin, the things that break relationship. Um, but through Jesus, he can redeem anything. He can redeem any fear, any doubt, any issue, any identity, any longing. He can bring that back to life, to the fullness it was made for. No wonder Paul is so joyful. Uh, at this moment, I'm going to invite uh, the worship team up. Um, and as I come up, uh, during the summertime, my family and I have the opportunity of going and speaking at camps. And, and it's so fun. And it's so funny. The camps, uh, when they call me, uh, they'll ask, hey, can you preach to our 8 and 11-year-olds, like 8 through 11? Like, yeah, why? And they're like, because you're the only guy who says yes. <laughs> so could you do it again? So we got to go uh, to a camp on the island and hundreds of campers. It was awesome. And 80% of those campers, not, uh, not one time had they been to church. And so they asked, have you ever been to church? 80% said, no, we've never been. So what an awesome opportunity to be there. And so on the first night, that's kind of where you give your spiel, like, hey, I'm mad. I like comics. I like pizza. And like you're trying to go, but most of all, I love Jesus, right? Like you, you're trying to do that little thing, and it's, and it's good. But the kids, again, there's hundreds of them, and so they're still talking a little bit. 
So I said, okay, this week, we're going to be talking about life. And the reason we're talking about life is because when you go to the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. Have you ever thought about the beginning, where that came from, where that started? And then the fourth word in the Bible is God, his name. You have to deal with that. Some kids are listening, but the others are like, yeah, in the beginning, hi. You know, and so it's like, oh, man, this is crazy. So then I thought, well, what would Pastor Greg do? <laughs> and the two words, security and significance, came into my mind. And I'm like, yeah, that might work. But... Because they're young, I'm just going to quickly change the words. And I said, this week, what we're going to talk about is being seen and safe. How many want to be seen and safe? And I kid you not, you can ask my wife, dead silence. Absolute dead silence. And so I went into it and just said, how many of you, like my girls, they want to be seen all the time. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. Look at me. They just want to know that what they're doing that it's good, that it's right. Like, watch me, aren't I worth, am I worthy? Do I have, can you love me? And they just want me to watch and watch and watch. And all these kids, you can see, they're like, I want that. And then I said, what about being safe? Oh, I even got quieter, if that's possible. They're just like, tell me how to be safe, secure, knowing that whatever decision I make, I'm still gonna be okay. How do I do that? And I said, this week we're going to talk about being seen and safe and that you can try to find those things on your own. And we have good parents and good coaches and those people to help us, but these two things can only be given to us perfectly through Jesus. And I mean, it changed the whole dynamic of the camp. Kids would come up and say, hey, can you tell me how to be seen by God again? Can you tell me how to be safe? And on the last night, I just want to read a few testimonies. They have an opportunity where the campers get to come. And these are 8 to 11-year-olds, okay? The biggest problem in their life, they can't tie their shoes. Like, that's, that's it. But they come up, and here's what they said on the last night. Jared came up, and he was so scared. So he whispered into my ear. And here's what he whispered. He said, when I came to this camp, I was afraid that I would be rejected. So I wanted to run away. So my bags were packed, they put me on the ferry, and I almost stepped off the ferry without people seeing, because I did not want to be rejected. But I came, and I heard that even if I'm rejected by these campers, God has never rejected me. And as I wanted to, these are his words, as I ran away, God was running after me. And so I asked the crowd, I said, how many are like Jared? hands went up and then Emily came up she said you know what I didn't think I was very special and when you were talking about God I'm like I can't relate to that stuff but on one night we were at a campfire and I heard a voice tell me you're special now I don't know maybe that was God but if it was I'm going to trust him and so I'm here to tell people I feel significant because of God or she said I feel seen because of God uh, two more. Colby was scared that if he left, his grandpa was going to die because his grandpa was sick. Then he said, I'm not scared anymore because if in the beginning God, if he's the one that gives life, if he's the one that secures life, he can make us feel safe. I need to quickly get home and tell my grandfather about Jesus. Okay. And then finally, Olivia came up and Olivia said, when I came, 
I felt I was out of place. These guys were weird. Why is everyone loving on each other? This is weird. But then I realized I wasn't out of place. There was actually a piece missing, and it was God. And I want to tell the camp that last night I made a decision to be seen and saved by God. And so that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. On our own, we are going to be looking for the security and significance. We're going to be looking for life. But if you're dead, you're not going to know what life looks like if you're just keeping looking at the old things. But Paul is encouraging us, no matter who you are, no matter what background, nationality, whatever you have in your bank account, it doesn't matter. He's calling you to go to him. Thank you.